0: Hello, and welcome to Will We Make make It it Out Alive?
1: alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. This is episode three, how to tell if you've got crabs. Not that kind. No, we're going to talk about European green crabs and why they're a problem outside of their native habitat. We'll also talk about some super cool GIS tools including the buffer tool and communicating with maps. And we'll tell you how you can become a crab spotter. Not that kind. For this episode, we consulted with Dr. Emily Grayson with the crab team and got some material from what we deemed to be reliable sources on the interwebs. We'll link to all of our sources on the website. Uh, so before we tackle our crab issues, I want to tell you a little story about snails. Snails? I guess they
0: are shelled like crabs. This better be funny, Jen.
1: I'm the funny one, so that shouldn't be hard. So, I worked at the port of Tacoma for a while, and we had a problem on a small part of our property with invasive snails. New Zealand mud snails, I believe? Um, I think so, but I'm not positive on that. They could have been. Whatever. She just rolled her eyes. You couldn't see it. So deep. (laughs) I think they're stuck in the back of her head now. Mm -hmm. So we were doing a lot of work to eradicate them. And my boss and I, we had a history because we'd previously worked together. And she thought it would be hilarious to tell our coworkers that we had invasive snails in our old stomping grounds as well. And I had worked on a project where we tagged the invasive snails we found with teeny tiny GPS units in order to study them to figure out their movements, and preferred habitats, and things like that. She actually had some people going for a while. Strangely enough, this story isn't so far-fetched.
0: Wait, really? Turns out, as part of the field work for his dissertation, research scientist Sean McDonald actually glued tiny radio tags to some European green crabs and then followed them around in a kayak in the middle of the night.
1: With what? a
0: transceiver <laughs> to determine how far they typically move.
1: And turns out... It's not all that far. Interesting, huh? That's that's amazing. I never thought anyone would actually do that. However, green crabs have now been found at several locations throughout the Salish Sea. Dun dun dun. dun. That's right. Today we're going to tell you a story about how Washington got crabs. Ah, uh, do we really have to share the story uh, about how we got crabs? Not that kind. Not that kind, Amy Cheese. European green crabs have been found in Washington's Salish Sea since 2016. Wait, what's a European green crab? Well, they're small crabs, normally about the size of rock crabs. Hmm, are they green? Well, not necessarily. And in fact, we have native crabs that can also be green. The European green crabs can really be about any color, so their name is a bit of a misnomer. And just to be clear, during this episode,
0: when we say green crabs, we are not talking about whatever crab that's green in color. We're actually talking about these European green crabs.
1: But one of the main ways to tell them apart from other crabs in the Pacific Northwest is that they have five spines on either side of their eyes. Those are like little pokey things. Yeah. So um you can check out our website and we'll link to more information about how to identify them. So... These green crab, the European green crab, were first found off of West Bay, San Juan Island, and then in Padilla Bay.
0: But how did they get here?
1: They were initially found off the outer coast of Washington, where they were likely transported from the east coast in seaweed used as packing material. Crabs are used as packing material for seaweed? No, no, no. Seaweed is sometimes used as packing material for either live bait or live seafood. And tiny baby green crab like to hang out in seaweed because it's a protective environment for them. Uh, Unless
0: apparently it gets harvested and they end up as packing material. (laughs)
1: That's true. Experts believe that European green crabs hitchhiked from the outer coast into the Strait of Juan de Fuca on bags of mussels used for biotoxin monitoring which were placed in Sook Basin, which is near Victoria, located on Vancouver Island. In the life cycle of the green crab, once the baby crabs hatch from their eggs, they float in the open ocean as larvae and can be carried for miles by the currents. Did you say tiny baby green crabs? No. Because... I'm pretty sure I said crabs. Oh, my bad. Whack fact, a
0: dose is a group of crabs. Or... A cast is also a group of crabs. There's actually no consensus. I went to the interwebs even, and the interwebs said both things were
1: accurate. Interesting. Once they plop down...
0: And you said plop. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. To an intertidal bay and in Malt, they tend to live in a relatively small area, tens of meters from a home site. Now, the floating babies don't usually make it all the way into the Salish Sea, but every once in a while, a few make it in. So... Actually, perhaps a few floated into Washington from a dose near Vancouver Island. But just to be clear, these are all
0: speculations on some level, and we don't yeah. know with certainty exactly how the green crabs made it into Puget Sound That's originally.
1: true. That's true. So
0: why should our cool cat friends care about getting crabs besides, like, the obvious
1: reasons? Well... Not that kind, but European green crabs are a cause of concern in the Salish Sea for a few reasons. They eat all sorts of our native species, including clams, oysters, mussels, marine worms, and small crustaceans, as well as other young crab and shellfish, and they're very good at hunting.
0: A uh, whack fact, a group of cats is called a clowder, which is kind of like cats and chowder. Not really, but I like it. That's... Cat, chowder, clowder.
1: No! are you going to make – uh wh- okay, why are you even talking about cats? No
0: reason. You're a weirdo. Cats are always worth mentioning, Jen. Also, I mean, did you even know that? Uh, no, but – Also, oh, are- they make this noise.
1: <laughs> okay, so anyway, uh, get back on topic, Amy. I, I think we're trying to talk about crabs right now, not cats. Speak for yourself. And – here in the Salish Sea, green crabs have the potential to impact our Dungeness crab, no clam, and oyster industries, which are important to our ecosystem, state economy, and culture, even if this cat doesn't partake. That's because you don't know what's
0: good. I mean, dungies. Mm, I love making a little crab stack with a pile of Dungeness meat.
1: Yuck. Well... I'll pass on your crabs and meat piles in general. Yeah, don't get my crabs, whatever you (laughs) do. no. Jen says no. But back to our impacts on our fisheries. Like I said, stay on topic, Amy. You don't have to repeat that every five seconds, Jen. Um, I think maybe I do. Nope. (laughs) While commercial shellfish growers are allowed to place nets over their shellfish beds, which provides some protection from predators, Wild shellfish, which are collected by recreational and tribal harvesters, are more vulnerable to becoming dinner for green crab. Hey, green
0: crabs, don't eat our already stressed marine
1: species. Right. In addition to affecting human livelihoods and dinner plates, green crab may outcompete local fish and birds for food. They're also known to mow down eelgrass beds, (sighs) which are important for forage fish and water quality. Also, these crabs are an intermediate host to a marine worm that can harm local shorebirds. So, basically, there's lots of ways these hardy and hungry crabs
0: could cause the collapse of some of our unique ecosystems.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. In other places, they've had devastating impacts on local species. And if the green crab makes itself at home in the Salish Sea, will our native species make it out alive? Dun, dun, dun. So how can our listeners catch their own crabs? If you think you found a green crab, don't don't pick pick it up.
0: That's right. Because of misidentifications, the experts do not want the accidental slaughter or taking of native crabs. Instead, they'd just like you to take a picture of the crab, collect as much detailed information about where you found it, and pass that information on to Sea Grant who will then put out a team of trained crab detectives on the case to try and find your crab and any others that might be hiding out in the area doing shady stuff. Super shady. To find out more about the crab team, we contacted Emily Grayson, Dr. Crab expert. At least that's what I call her, although her PhD is much more complex than that.
1: Yeah, I'm sure she'll appreciate you calling her that. She heads up the Crab Team
0: at Sea Grant, and she told us more about the history of the program, providing great behind-the-scenes tidbits.
1: Ooh, behind-the-scenes tidbits? Tell me more. I'm about to,
0: because that's what I was born to do. Crab Team started after European green crab were found in the Salish Sea, but up in Canadian waters. They were found just west of Victoria in Sook Basin in 2012 there was concern that they may spread into Washington as well. So these forward-thinking folks launched an early
1: detection effort. Kind of like uh, being regularly tested for sexually transmitted infections? Yeah, exactly, Jen. Oh. And that's awesome because typically we don't even start looking for an invasive species until we find it, and it's already well-established in our environment. But the green crabs had this early detection program. Correct.
0: The effort began as a partnership between Department of Fish and Wildlife and Sea Grant, which is housed at the University of Washington. The program basically has two goals, to find out if and how quickly crabs are getting into the Salish Sea in Washington, and also to monitor pocket estuaries, which is where the green crab are most likely to have the greatest impact from an
1: explosion. Ew! Whack fact, pocket estuaries are just what they sound like, little pouches along the shoreline where you can let your green crabs hang out in peace and eat away at the local environment. Wait, it- what? Uh, oh, oops. I mean, they're a small protected embayment within which there is too little wave action to form beaches.
0: It's <sighs> fest, but in reality, I love pocket estuaries.
1: And seriously, in some areas of Salish Sea, We found that pocket estuaries are preferred 20 to 1 by Chinook salmon right? as places to hang out during their teen years on their way out to the wide open sea. So check out our blog post for more info and to find a pocket estuary near you. In
0: 2015, a pilot study was launched and Crab Team was born as a network of sites that were monitored by dedicated volunteers. Although at that point, they never really expected or hoped to find any crab in the Salish Sea.
1: I mean, who really expects or hopes to find crabs? People who sleep around in the marine water. Okay, you can't see, but I'm rolling (laughs) my eyes right now. (laughs) Sounds about right. They began to
0: find European green crabs, though, here in their traps in 2016. And at that point, had to scramble to figure out what the next steps were going to be. They've been sorting it all out as they go and trying to do what they can with limited resources and not much certainty about the project's future.
1: Hmm. You know, Emily had a great metaphor for their approach. In her words, it's kind of like coming home late and you're starving and you have to figure out how to feed yourself with what's already in the fridge. You've got to figure out how to do the most you can with what you have on hand. And maybe that's actually a metaphor for all conservation and management. Hmm. I'm going to call that
0: the home-late-I'm-starving meal. Mm. Anywho, some of the spots they're monitoring are places we don't really know much about ecologically compared to other beach types. In fact, Crab Team's volunteers might be the only
1: people who've really noted what native species are living in some of these places. Wow. I thought pretty much all places had been studied already. That's pretty surprising.
0: Right? It's actually pretty impressive how much there is for us to still learn about our own backyards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully, there's been a huge amount of interest from community conservation groups. Crab Team is often out talking crab, as they might be expected to do, throughout the Salish Sea, trying to help raise awareness about the issues and letting us know what we can do to help out. They also partner with a number of tribes who help monitor and manage the green crab.
0: Emily and her crew of volunteers don't know for sure if they can manage to completely protect our shorelines from green crabs but they're going to do their best to make sure that the green crabs in the Salish Sea do not make it out alive.
1: Hmm. Well, now that they've been found here, the next steps are to have crews that can respond quickly when there's a sighting and place traps to collect the green crabs.
0: Seriously? Just trapping them? That doesn't seem very effective. I mean, are there any other control methods that are ecologically sound? Like, um... Is there anything we could do besides trap them? Like maybe cats? Maybe we could try to train cats to go and collect only <laughs> green crabs, not other crabs. I've um, also heard that they've tried to make it a menu item on the East Coast, but there's not a lot of meat, so it's a lot of work for not a lot of return.
1: Huh? Fascinating. Um, training cats. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much impossible. But trapping them is really the only tool... Haven't you ever heard that saying about herding cats, Jen, and how it's so easy to herd cats? Yeah, I think that's the opposite of what that means. So trapping is really the only tool that's available. Uh, so water's not a good system to use pesticides in, and other biological controls, I mean, I guess like cats, can kill native species better than the invasives.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. If we really wanted the cats to work for us, we just need to train them. Training cats is super easy, as you may be aware. (laughs) Like, we can just put out some wet food. They can't resist that. They'll definitely be open to whatever
1: we want Mm, them to do. That's kind of true.
0: However, without any help from cats, Crab Team currently monitors 54 sites from Drayton Harbor at the border with Canada down to Nisqually Reach near Olympia and all the way out through the Straits of Wanda Fuca. Wow, that's, that's a lot of ground to cover. Right? Uh, a lot of these sites are actually on public property, but some are on private or tribal lands where Crab Team has been granted permission to work. Hmm. Emily says that Crab Team is grateful that individuals and tribes have been willing to open their space to this work. And really it's important for us all to try to protect these areas and identify where and how quickly the crabs are coming in so we can better manage yeah. the threat.
1: Yeah, that's that's great that they have so much support. Areas support and areas where, where they can do their work. In addition to the volunteers, they have a team that includes a couple of other folks at Sea Grant and the UW who collaborate on the big picture stuff like funding, program priorities, and science questions.
0: Ooh, do they have any cats?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Well, they
0: do, do have a hugely <laughs> helpful graduate student assistant who supports volunteers and manages data and communications for the project. Maybe they're a cat like us. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. So anyways, Emily's job is a bit of everything else. That includes recruiting, training, and deploying volunteers, managing and analyzing data, communicating about the program, consulting with agencies and tribes about management practices, and developing the science of their project. When it all boils down, she is supporting relationships and collaboration of all the people working on this project. That sounds like a big job. Right? Just a tiny, tiny job for one person. Right. The early detection program is only part of the overall management picture for the green crab.
1: Yeah, but really at Sea Grant, they're in a unique place because as part of a university, they have access to really strong science resources, and they can more easily make sense of the situation and collaborate with all the different groups in order to make the home-late-I'm-starving meal. Yeah, and they're not part of an agency or attached to a
0: specific place, so they can kind of be the crabby face of the public.
1: Or, um, I mean, the
0: public face of the green crab. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, is there a green crab costume, I wonder? Hmm. If there's not, there should be. Uh, I'm starting to see a costume theme already emerge from this podcast endeavor.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, but not everyone wants to wear a costume.
0: But everyone wants to get crabs.
1: No, Amy, none of us want to get these kind of crabs. Green crabs? Yeah, actually any kind of crabs. Oh, okay. Uh, And I'm going to change the subject now. Boring. So being the magical mapper, I want to dig a bit deeper into the data and analysis piece of Emily's job. Of course you do. But don't think that I don't love data, too. Yeah, I know you do, so just be quiet and listen. So, back in the lab, Dr. Grayson tries to determine spatial distribution, and she uses data and maps to try and determine if their trap placement is sufficient. Ooh, how does she do that? Well, one GIS tool that she uses is the buffer tool. Buffer tool. buff Buffer tool.
0: Um, you're singing again. So, how does the buffer tool work?
1: Well, once a crab sighting has been verified and traps are set, she inputs the coordinates of where the trap was placed into the GIS program and uses the buffer tool to create a 20-meter circular area around the trap. 20-meter circular, 20-meter circular. Uh, uh, no, no, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Apparently we're being graced by Amy singing today. Woo! Since the European green crabs tend not to run far from their home base during the summer months, she assumes that the traps are catching crabs located within 20 meters of each trap.
0: In that case, getting an accurate location of the sightings must be kind of important, because if the location is very far off, the traps would completely miss the crab's territory, right?
1: Uh, that's right, and hey, you're listening. Good or job. Once. Yeah, good job. For more information on the buffer tool, visit our website, outalivepodcast.com.
0: Whack fact. House cats generally hate being thrown in the water.
1: <laughs> That's mean. And why are you talking about cats again?
0: No reason. But seriously, they like hate it. Almost got my face scratched off before.
1: Uh, I wonder why?
0: Hashtag slag. So does Emily use maps as a communication tool?
1: Well, of course, as everyone should. Uh, So she explains that maps are a good way to share stories and connect people with an environmental project because most people can look at a map and see themselves in it. So it's really a perfect way to get individuals to have an immediate experience with a really abstract, remote ecological threat.
0: People see themselves in maps, like maps are mirrors or alternate realities or something?
1: (laughs) No. Uh, So, for example, they may look at a map and think... Oh, that's my backyard that could be impacted. No way do I want those crabs in my lagoon. Or I don't wha- want
0: those crabs in my lagoon. That's for certain. Exactly. And get all itchy up in Uh-uh-uh. there.
1: Oh gosh. Or um, whoa, they found a green crab there. I was there two weeks ago. Whoa,
0: you definitely want to get tested if you were there two weeks oh my ago. My God,
1: not that kind of crab, <laughs> Amy. <laughs> so their publicly available map is currently built on Google's My Maps.
0: If you visit our website, we'll link to their map, which shows where green crab have been found and where the crab teams monitor.
1: Yeah, they chose Google's platform because it's stable and free, easy to manipulate, and you can make the layers downloadable so people can actually access the data whenever and do whatever they want with it. Like to see
0: where there's been a crab outbreak?
1: Exactly! Wait, Um, not that kind of crab, Amy. However... Don't swim in that water. Yeah, however... They realize that Google's map is limited and a bit clunky. They're very interested in using an Esri story map to build a richer, more directed, and spatially explicit Mm. experience Mm. for visitors to their website. Crab watch. Yeah. People are doing some really cool things with story maps. Maybe one of our listeners would like to help
0: them out. Ooh, maybe.
1: Hmm. Internally, Emily is developing workflows to use GIS to see how well the program's working. And she wants to answer questions such as, how many crabs are there in a given place? And how does that change over time and with different levels of trapping? So in an attempt to answer these questions, she's doing some spatial catch-per-unit mapping that will help the team make smarter database decisions on where to increase their trapping efforts. What was that? I wasn't listening. Ah, typical. Well, we'll go into this a little more on our website, but... I hope to follow up with Emily in the future to see how everything's going.
0: So, are any of you itching to get some crabs um, yet? No, 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 no. Crab team is currently searching for volunteer observers.
1: Yeah, um, actually, anyone who ever goes near salty water. What kind of salty water? Uh, like ocean or <laughs> like marine salty water. Can help out by learning how to ID green crab and what to do if they find one. Sea Grant can't cover
0: all 2,500 miles of shoreline 365 days a year. Really? Right. Even if they had all the money in the world, they probably couldn't manage it. But they could really use everyone's help to keep a close eye when you're out visiting the shoreline. You can familiarize yourself with green crab identification. A link on our website.
1: Remember, if you think you found a green crab, don't, don't pick, pick it, it up. up.
0: Again, we don't want misidentification of native crabs, that we want to grow big and strong, so we can, in some cases, harvest and eat them.
1: Oh, not all of us want to eat the cute little dungies.
0: Well, some of us do. Also, <coughs> whack fact, it is illegal to be in possession of an invasive European green crab.
1: Wait, it is? You know
0: I'm a rule follower. I know. So instead, take a picture of the crab. Several pictures from different angles is helpful, especially focusing on the spines, those little pokey things that are located on either side of their eyes, and collect detailed location information. Yeah, GPS coordinates for a gold star. And provide that information to Sea Grant, who will then deploy a team of trained crab experts to try and find
1: your crab and any
0: others that might be living near it.
1: Remember, each crab only lives in a small area during the summer. Are you still itching though? Do you want to
0: get even crabbier? <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> I mean, do you want to become a master
1: crab inspector? Uh, oh no. <laughs> so currently Crab Team has over 200 participants that are basically crab detectives with their boots in the mud all summer long. Crab masters should be pretty adventurous folks. If you sign up, you'll definitely be getting a bit dirty and muddy and will likely need to brave a chilly, drizzly day or two. But you'll be doing it in the name of science.
0: And all of your friends will envy your newfound crab identification skills. That's
1: right. You'll join a team of up to half a dozen like-minded crabby folks to survey your site once per month, April through September. And as a volunteer, you'll get a full day of classroom training and you'll be matched up with a site based on your location and volunteer needs. Basically like uh, crab matchmaking? Yeah! (laughs) Maybe I should join. Teams conduct the standard crab team protocols at these sites, and Sea Grant provides all of the equipment, bait, and any other needed supplies. To become a crab
0: master, find the next invasive crab training date near you, link on our website, and then start monitoring for crabs.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, Emily loves her volunteers and finds working with them to be one of the more rewarding parts of her job. She says that often the volunteers think there isn't anything living in a lagoon or place that they're setting their traps out. And when they pull up the traps the next day, they're astounded at how much life there is in the traps. So Emily loves seeing how they change their thinking about the shorelines.
0: I mean, should we talk about that a little bit more? Like, what kind of other stuff are they finding in these traps, and what do they do with that
1: stuff? Well, they're they're finding a lot of native species, other types of crab. And then they just eat them? No, they let them go. They, they just keep the invasive European green crab, and they let all the other. Whose side are you on, Jen? I'm on.
0: What other fun adventures can crab team volunteers expect?
1: Well, who doesn't love playing with dead fish? I mean, besides me. Volunteers get to play with dead fish in an attempt to get crabs.
0: Are you kidding me? Dream job. They use dead mackerel as bait, so that's one fun adventure.
1: Well, yeah, staff actually preps the bait for volunteers, so it's a little less gross to handle, and Crab Team has had some fun adventures carting 500 pounds of sliced fish across campus and then getting on public transportation. Ew, that
0: sounds smelly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, volunteers often encounter wildlife on sites, which can be exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, I heard that one group of volunteers accidentally disturbed a Canada goose nest and they were chased off because these poop machines are scary and they had to find a different way to access their site.
0: They also have developed a pretty intense rivalry with raccoons who tried their hardest to get their creepy little human-like hands with claws on the mackerel. Yeah, they do have creepy
1: little human hands.
0: What we really wanted to know from Dr. Crabmaster Emily was who would win in a fight, a trash panda or an escaped farm fish? Her response was golden. She said,
1: Oh, trash panda, no doubt. First of all, farm salmon aren't smart they aren't made to survive in the wild. I mean, imagine any other livestock released into the wild. There's like only five remaining natural predators in the wild, and cows and sheep still get picked off by them immediately. But at least they know enough to find food for themselves. Most of those that were released weren't even able to feed themselves and they were found with empty stomachs. Most farmed salmon, indeed most hatchery-reared and released fish of all kinds, suffer really high mortality rates in the wild because they didn't learn how to protect themselves from predators.
0: She also said, raccoons are terrifyingly smart and will fight dirty, literally. Mm -hmm. They are actually really good at foraging intertidally, and so they have to make sure they aren't a problem for the traps. The raccoons will rip apart traps to get at the bait jars. They can't open the bait jars though, and the volunteers have seen raccoons absconding with the bait only to find a jar a month later in a nearby channel unopened. Hmm. We also dropped our team member Sean off to set traps at one site, and he was stalked by a raccoon for several hours, following him down one channel and then ducking into another. I've never seen such damage to our traps. And something about San Juan Islands in particular, the raccoons there are another category entirely.
1: Ooh, note to self. (laughs) So what do you think? Will the green crab make it out alive?
0: The answer is probably yes, both in their native habitat, where we are happy to see them, and in areas that they've been transported to. Heck, even if the rest of us don't make it out alive, the green crab might.
1: Realistically, green crabs are likely to be an ongoing management issue in the state, so keep your eyes out for green crabs when you visit the shoreline.
0: Or join the crab team for even more crabbier
1: fun. <laughs> Great grammar. Links on our website. So, in this episode, we talked about ways to avoid getting crabs, and you're welcome, how to keep European green crabs out of the Sailor Sea. We also talked about buffering traps and sharing information through maps. And to close out, we invited you to muck about in the mud or just keep your eyes peeled for European green crabs. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next time for Episode 4, where we talk about how it's getting more bearable for cats to cross the road. I
0: saw it with my very own eyes.
1: You've cat to be kidding me. These puns are starting to get unbearable. Until next time, will we make it out alive? If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We'd also really appreciate it if you'd rate us and leave a review. And don't forget to share this
0: with everyone you know. Or at least people you think will enjoy this. Um, Everyone will enjoy this. That's a good point.
1: Poop detective out. Jen, the magical <laughs> mapper,
0: out. I'm out after her out, though. Good night. Yeah, goodbye. Good night again. Why do you always have to get the last word in? Because. <laughs> <laughs>